Welcome to Season 2 of Matizzi Stories, a podcast by the Matizzi Museums exploring Matizzi's people, places, and events. This season, we're going to be exploring the story of an animal who was once a common resident to the Bighorn Basin and Grable River Valley. Today, that same animal is our national mammal. If you haven't guessed it by now, it's the bison. Our story begins long before humans reached North America, and I'm joined by Dr. Chris Widga, head curator at the Gray Fossil Site in eastern Tennessee, to learn more. So bison are actually the uh, kind of the harbinger of the last North American land mammal age. So this is a way that paleontologists use to tell time in North America, because a lot of times we can't, you know, radar carbon dating only goes back 50,000 years. Our dating techniques are limited, especially because a lot of times we can only date things like rocks, not actually bones. So we use these other tools to basically tell time. And the last land mammal age for North America is called the Rancho Lebrean. And it's based on uh, the, 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 the La Brea tar pits, the, the fauna that are present in the La Brea tar pits out in California. The La Brea tar pits sit in the center of Los Angeles. They're formed from a natural asphalt seeping up to the surface. This natural asphalt is formed early in the process of organic marine deposits breaking down into petroleum. Mammals, insects, and reptiles would unknowingly wander into these traps, getting stuck and starving to death. The result is a snapshot in time. Um, and one of the key animals that appeared during the Rancho La Brea in North America that was not here before are bison. So if you have bison in a paleontological assemblage, you know that it's part of this land mammal age. Setting when that starts, putting a number date on when that starts is a little bit more difficult. Um, you know, we usually put kind of a, a broad number about 250,000 years at the beginning of the Rancho La Brea. But if you look at the earliest dated bison in North America, it's probably, probably uh, around 200,000 years old. Um, there's a really early bison from South Carolina. There's a really early bison from, uh, from Missouri. Uh, there's some early material up in Alaska. Um, and, it, you know, they're kind of, they date in this time range that's kind of 130,000, 140,000, up to about 200, 220,000. So those are kind of our earliest dated bison. They are mostly, most of them, at least two of them, are what we would call bison latifrons. So this, this extinct species of bison that had really, really big uh, horns. So, you know, six foot spreads of, of bison horn cores, and they were somewhat bigger than modern bison too. Um, so bison come from Eurasia, they come across the Bering Land Bridge, uh, and you know, once they're here, then they kind of diversify into a number of different morphologies. We've got this big old latifrons that has the giant horn cores. We've got bison antiquus and bison occidentalis and bison bison. Um, that, that are down here in the lower 48, uh, up in, in the whole Arctic, in, in the Arctic, in Beringia, we've got bison priscus, uh, which is probably the big great granddaddy of all North American bison. Today, the remains of bison priscus can be found throughout Europe, Central Asia, and North America. Dr. Widga refers to them as the granddaddy of North American bison because they were likely one of the first bison to cross the Bering Land Bridge, 
and they were truly massive. Their large size was needed not only because they're living in a glacial environment, but because they're sharing the landscape with lions, saber-toothed cats, short-faced bears, cave bears, and more. Bison latifrons, those bison with the huge horn cores, was one of the largest bovids to have ever lived. Estimates place latifrons shoulder height at 2.5 meters. Quick conversion, that's about eight feet tall. So next time you see an NBA player, just imagine them representing the height of the shoulder of a prehistoric bison. Bison antiquus was quite small compared to latifrons. Antiquus is the most common large herbivore found at the La Brea Tar Pits and was over 15 to 25% larger than bison today, measuring in at just seven and a half feet at the shoulder. These differences we're talking about all fall under the category of morphological differences because they are differences in form and morphology is the study of form. So they're here, they kind of diverge into these different morphologies in different places at different times. Um, but one of the neat things has been over the last 15 or 20 years, um, we've had access to a lot of ancient DNA technology and some really interesting results of that have suggested that we may have kind of two pulses of bison coming across the Bering Land Bridge, uh, one that's early, you know, kind of 130,000 or so, and one that is much later, the last 50,000 years or so. Um, once they get here, they're kind of a blended family. Uh, they, they Genetically, they're pretty indistinct. Uh, even though you have latifrons with really big horns and you have bison bison with really small horns, and they're kind of two ends of this morphological spectrum, genetically, they're not all that different. Um, and so, you know, they could probably interbreed, uh, which is why we get kind of a lot of morphological variability in horn cores and in body size through time and in space. Um, but once they're here, they're, they're pretty common. When bison first appear in North America, modern humans are not the only hominids on the landscape. Though early modern humans make quick work of spreading from Africa to North America, the earliest humans arrive in North America just a few thousand years before the end of what is called the late Pleistocene. For much of the Pleistocene, glaciers cover North America, and it's also known as the Great Ice Age. Mammals, such as bison, had to deal with extreme temperatures that come when you live in a world covered in ice. The late Pleistocene is infamous for mass extinction events in which much of the world's megafauna disappear from the landscape. Roughly 10,000 years ago, North America begins to deglaciate, meaning the continent experiences a warming event and the glaciers recede. This warming event signals the transition to a period known as the early Holocene. Throughout the Ice Age, they, they actually are not super common on the landscape. So, you know, in an Ice Age site, you might get two or three bison. Uh, you know, very rarely do you get more than, you know, just a handful of animals. But then when you hit the early Holocene or the latest, absolute latest of the Pleistocene, that's when you start seeing, um, you know, bison kills, bison mass disassemblages, where you might have initially it was, might be a few dozen individuals, but then during the early Holocene, late Pleistocene, early Holocene, you start seeing just sometimes hundreds 
of individuals and in, in, insights. So you've got some of these big bison populations. But for most of the Pleistocene, that wasn't the case. <laughs> then we get into the Holocene, uh, you know, which is this, this time period where it's kind of modern climates. Um, and, uh, and bison become really a staple of Great Plains ecosystems. And you have this, this, this back and forth with bison that uh, sometimes they're, they're distributed across North America and sometimes they're limited to the Great Plains. One of the neat, neatest periods, I think, uh, in bison history is actually just before European contact, kind of in the 1500s, 1600s, you've got bison coast to coast. Uh, you've got historic records of bison in Virginia and Florida and in Northern California and everywhere in between. Um, you may not have much of a fossil record or much of an archaeological record of bison in those areas, but what are they doing that they're, they're basically everywhere? So, you know, they're, like I said, they're fruit flies. Um, they're these great experimental animals that will do almost anything in any place <laughs> just to survive. Given that bison have existed in North America for over 200,000 years through climactic events and inhabited a variety of ecosystems, it's not surprising that there are changes in body size. The causes of these changes, however, are not cut and dry. Oh, that's a fun one. And that's one that we get we get really excited about. And, you know, so a lot of us, we've gone from museum to museum to museum and literally measured thousands and thousands of bison bones uh, just to understand when did they get smaller? Uh, was that change kind of synchronous in space? So they got smaller at the same time everywhere. Um, you know, what was driving that, that, uh, that, that body size change? Was it climate? Was it people? Was it something else? And we did a, a big study a couple of years ago where we combined a lot of these data sets. And we found that, that bison really shrink rapidly at, at the end of the Pleistocene and into the early Holocene. So about 11,000 years ago, they really start dropping in size. And that corresponds pretty readily to, uh, you know, changes in climate and changes in the uh, in, in vegetation uh, of the Great Plains. Uh, and so we think that it's probably tied to that. Um, they keep, you know, kind of shrinking in size throughout the Holocene. And this, this has been something that's been really fun to look at, uh, despite kind of the, you know, between... About 5,000 and 7,000, we think it's probably warmer and much, much, much drier in the Great Plains. We don't see bison really getting a lot smaller during that time period. Um, they kind of level out about 3,000, 2,000 years ago uh, as, you know, what we would call modern bison size. Um, and then, you know, kind of the last 2,000 years, they're pretty stable. But um, that's that's been a really fun thing. And this is, like I said, it's it's one of the things that's really appealing about bison is you you're able to look at this process in a deep amount of detail that you can't use with other animals um you know we've tried it with deer we've tried it with uh you know mammoths or mastodons and some of these other taxa. you just don't have the the sample sizes to really look at the deep time impact in the great plains of climate change and, and, and vegetation change, uh, forage changes on these big animals. So yeah, it's, it's, 
it's still going on too. We're, we're still sorting out, you know, really why do they get smaller? There's just because you demonstrate that there's a correlation between climate, known climate changes and kind of known pulses in bison getting smaller doesn't necessarily mean you know what's going on. Um, so we don't have a smoking gun. Uh, we, it, it could be that it's all bottom up. It's all forage related. And I suspect it is, but at the same time, we don't have kind of the um, resolution of the vegetation record to address that across the Great Plains. So that's one of the places that we are still, you know, doing research. Um, it, and it's, it's fun. It, it really is because you're looking at all these pieces of an ecosystem and how they fit together. We know how the bison were responding, but what was the equation that goes into that evolutionary process? Uh, and that's one of the fascinating parts. Dr. Jeff Martin is one of the scientists studying bison body size through time. So I will start with the theory of body size and why we care about it. <laughs> um, Body size is a very useful gauge of both environmental characters and what's happening on the landscape, as well as the population health. So it, it's incredibly useful for those me metrics. Um, starting with the environment, which is what most of my research is in, what are the determinants of the environment to constrain asymptotic mature uh, body size, that, that maximum body size? Um, I have found uh, temperature and drought to be primary drivers, but there's also forage quality and food availability as primary determinants. Um, at the population level, uh, it can also indicate genetic issues of inbreeding um, or overpopulation resource um, depletion. Um, and then it can also help determine what your population structure is relative to breeding age and non-breeding age, um, breeding success, um, body score conditions can be used for that. Um, and so trying to figure those out are a complex issue. But once you use huge data sets that cover both um, huge geographic space, so from, for my example, from Canada, uh, central Saskatchewan, all the way down into uh, northern Mexico, where bison used to live, um, I use that entire geographic spread in the fossil record. Um, you can also use huge temporal records going over the last 40,000 years to help stitch this answer together. And, and I've done that uh, using my 2018 paper, Bison Body Size and Climate Change. And I related the bison body size, uh, which was determined from the me one measure on the calcanean, the heel bone of the bison and relate that then to body mass. So you can have a good uh, linear measurement of the bone, which is in the postcrania, um, part of the body, not the head, and then relate that to then a north, northern hemisphere proxy for temperature using the Greenland ice sheet as a record of that. And we found that for every degree Celsius that the globe warms up, um, bison lose between 41 and 63 kilograms per degree Celsius rise. And so what that means then is from 25,000 years ago, approximately during the last glacial maximum, when it was the coldest, uh, bison were twice the size that they are today. 
So that's a six degree warm up <clears throat> between the last glacial maximum to today. We expect another uh, two to four degrees globally uh, to rise. So that then predicts a, an, an additional decline of body size between 21 and 46%. Can bison sustain that small of a body size? We don't know. Um, this is the smallest that bison have ever been in their entire evolutionary history, especially over the last 160,000 years in North America, but including their ancestors in the old world, we can go back 1.5 million years. This is the smallest they've ever been. Um, we know that bovid, the whole family, bovidae, has particularly small individuals in it, um, but bison have never been that small. So we will see. Um, if they can sustain that. On the back side of that, body size is also a determinant um, for many life history traits. Um, so lifespan, how long do they live, um, is uh, determined from body size, uh, reproductive rates, uh, grazing and gut efficiency, how well you're able to digest and keep those nutrients uh, because of retention time. The bigger you are, the longer you hold on to your food in your gut, so you're able to extract more out of it. The smaller you are, it's got to keep moving. Uh, you can only keep uh, food in your gut for so long um, when you're small. The age at first reproduction, it determines when you'll first breed, uh, especially as a grazer. And it also determines uh, sexual dimorphism, how great of a difference is there between males and females, um, all of which um, affect the population and metapopulation um, overall. So that's why I care about body size so much. Thermoregulation is how an animal controls its body temperature, and it's a variable of body size. To understand thermoregulation in bison better, Dr. Martin visited 19 bison herds spanning from central Saskatchewan, Canada to southern Texas. He visited the herds twice in the summer and twice in winter, moving north to south to follow the peak heat during the summer and peak cold during the winter. His research spanned temperatures from negative 40 degrees Celsius in Fahrenheit to 40 degrees Celsius or 104 degrees Fahrenheit. The cycle took him 45 days each time. As he traveled, Dr. Martin took a thermal imaging camera and a mobile weather station to get thermal images of the bison and data on temperature, wind direction, and speed, and relative humidity. All of these factors influence that thermoregulation. The cool thing that we found, well, it's not cool, it's actually, it's a hot thing, but uh, it's a neat outcome of the work was that as bison expend energy to stay cool, so they're pumping their blood hot, uh, harder, they, they expand their blood vessels, um, they're able to move the heat away from their organs to the outer part of their body to dump that heat. Uh, your organ failure happens at about 106 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. You don't want that. We don't want that either as humans. So any warm-blooded animal, that's what they're trying to do, is trying to jettison heat. That takes energy. That energy, especially during the growing season, um, is valuable for growth. Growing season is usually talked about for plants. It's also talked about for wildlife. <laughs> that's how their actual body growth structure happens, is during the growing season. And so if you're reallocating energy to staying cool, you can't use it to growth. So now you have a decline, a depression in growth rate as you're allocating more energy into staying cool. So animals that occur in hotter conditions, especially hotter and, and more humid, um, they expend a great deal of energy to stay cool during the summertime, during the growing season. 
And the outcome of that is a smaller body size. Compounded onto that is the indirect causes of rising temperature and drought, where the forage quality and quantity um, are reducing. Um, the palatability and the nutrient available, bioavailability of nutrients declines with increasing drought and, and, and rising temperatures. And so climate change is getting bison from two directions. That direct warming to the animal itself, to the body, and then the energy that they can actually harvest from the environment is declining because that forage nutrition is, is dropping. And so those were the things that I was trying to look at and figure out what's a larger uh, driver of body size change. Um, it's really important to harvest all the energy you can uh, during the growing seasons because for female bison, you only have three growing seasons uh, to get the energy you need until your skeleton just stops growing. Uh, our skeletons are predetermined to stop growing at a certain time. Um, for males, it's five years. The skeleton pretty much stops growing. You pack on more meat after that, but your skeleton is pretty much what is the limiting factor. That's where zooarchaeology and paleontology come into a good play for body size questions. Um, we can look at the past uh, and, and how they've changed with the skeletons with their body size change because it's preserved so well with the bones. And so measuring and monitoring those, uh, those changes of the asymptotic body size, the, that mature size, um, that's what helps monitor across populations any environmental changes that may be occurring. Bison have such differences in body size of mature animals. A mature bison cow runs on the order of 800 pounds. A mature bison bull can be in excess of 2,000 pounds. And that difference in body size is translated into the metrics into almost every bone in the body. I'm Larry Todd. I'm a professor emeritus at Colorado State University. I'm originally from Matitsi, Wyoming, and currently living in Matitsi. The skeleton is the support system of the body. Over time, if the muscles are putting a lot of demand on a specific bone, it becomes a rough, robust attachment. Demand can be anything from repeated physical activity to the weight of the animal itself. These attachments can be used to look at sexual dimorphism and even daily life because different demands are reflected in those metrics that Dr. Todd mentioned. Zooarchaeologists and paleontologists can use this information to learn more about social behavior, that sexual dimorphism, as well as climate. Body size is, again, one of those really fun um, sort of things to study because it can be responsive to um, temperature, climate change, bigger bodies can deal with a bigger mass, can deal with colder temperatures, uh, smaller size, more agile animals can be moved more quickly. Um, it can deal with diet. It can deal with herd size. One of the fun things we've seen about body size in bison is we all, anybody who has a passing interest in bison knows that the ones who were around during the late ice age were bigger both in terms of overall body size and horn core morphology and stuff like that. And the ones we have today, so you have bigger bison. And today we have these cute little bisonettes that um, run around with their cute turned up horns that are very different in body size and morphology than the earlier ones. And so one of the things that you might think 
is that through time, mice have got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, one of the studies I did years ago looking at, at the distal humeri as a proxy of body size indicated that a lot of that body size reduction happens very quickly. Between about 13,000 and around 10,000 years ago, about half the body size reduction takes place. And then you start to have that slow, slow reduction in body size down to the diminutive cute bison we have today. And so one of the fun questions about body size is why was there that rapid set of reductions um, at the end of the ice age? Part of it probably is climate of adapting from or moving their adaptation from a cold climate adapted animal to one that can deal with um, a more warmer environment. Probably part of its diet um, changing to broader, more open grassland um, foraging abilities. But what I get really excited about archaeologically is part of that reduction in size uh, and associated um, horn core morphology and group stuff is that they were also adapting to the presence of a new, novel, highly effective predator. And so one of the ways you avoid predators, sort of ecologically, evolutionarily, is you can start massing in larger groups. And there's associations between the social dynamics of large groups and body size and horn core morphology that are probably associated with bison shifting from um, small groups of large animals dispersed across the landscape because there weren't these effective human predators on the scene to groups that are starting to animals that are starting to aggregate into larger groups and having to deal with those complex social interactions that go on in large groups and horn cords are part of those social interactions. Um, in response to some of those things like the, the early mass kill sites, humans, unlike other predators, bears and wolves and lions and oh my, all that stuff, humans could take out large portions of the gene pool at just that, that instant in time. Two to 300 animals. That looks like at the hoarder site we talked about here in the, the Bighorn Basin. You take out 200 animals out of a bison gene pool that may not be huge in a place like the Bighorn Basin. You can have huge impacts on it. So one of the things that I really get excited about, about the body change difference, is when you look at bison grazing in Yellowstone Park today, and we think of them as, oh, aren't they a cute symbol of wild, untrammeled um, North America, pristine environments? I think the argument can be made is that genetically, behaviorally, morphologically, bison are in large part today the result of long-term human interaction, that predation by humans. They're not domestic animals by any sense, but they're not animals that don't have that mark of interacting with humans and trying to avoid being killed by humans for millennia. So it really, I, I think that's a fun thing to think about when you're looking at wild bison is yes, they're, they're animals that are really fun to see on the landscape, but like every other component of the ecosystems in which humans are engaged, um, there's been that mutual interaction between bison morphology, bison genetics, bison behavior, and human predation through time. So um, they're not an animal that's independent of human action. So next time you see the bison herds in Yellowstone National Park or one of our other national or state parks, think about how over 10,000 years of living with humans has changed the animal you see before you. 
And remember, they're just cute little diminutive bison. If you want to see a really big one, you'd better stop by a natural history museum or snap a photo. They'll never be that big again in your lifetime. So, anticipating climate change uh, into the future, North America is uh, calling for warmer uh, temperatures and increasing drought um, that will affect both animals and plants. Uh, I'm worried about the sustainability of both conservation, preservation, and production of the species uh, for the industry as well as our natural lands that we go to to visit because you will never see a bison as big as what your grandparents saw. You'll never be able to experience that. Your kids, the next generations, will never be able to experience the size of animals that we got to admire and see. The natural wonders of these huge animals is really impressive. Uh, being around a more than one ton animal where you can physically feel the ground shake as they move. You may not be able to experience that in the future if they get small enough. Um, so that's my concern. You won't be able to experience that. It's these shared experiences that makes cultures, that, that unites us. Um, and, and if we don't get to have them, what do we talk about? <laughs> what, what do we experience together? And so the Great Plains specifically are going to warm another three to five degrees um, within the next three to six, three to six decades. Um, and I've tried to do a calculation here to figure out if, if bison can keep up with that rate of change. That's my other concern is do they go extinct? Can they not keep up with that adaptation? If you can't get small enough quick enough, you stay too big and you overheat and you die. You're, you're, you have organ failure, you die. Um, and so I, I quickly calculated that. I haven't published this uh, in peer review, but it is in my dissertation, that we are expected to have to keep up between four to 26 kilograms per generation. That's what they need to, to do to keep up. Um, and I've used historical observations from Wind Cave National Park over the past 50 years. Those numbers suggest that the bison over that time frame have been adapting between three and 37 kilograms per generation. That's sex dependent, that's why there's two numbers. And so that is only if we assume that forage quality and quantity remains constant and bison generation times remain constant. And we know that they're both going to change because as body size changes, generation time changes. And we already talked about the forage change. So they're right at those margins. And, and that's worrisome for me. Bison are incredible animals with the ability to survive in a variety of circumstances. Their body size is a function of their social behavior, the food they eat, and the climate in which they live. Thanks to Dr. Chris Widga, Dr. Larry Todd, and Dr. Jeff Martin for joining me to talk about bison and their body size through time. Join us next time to learn more about bison in the Bighorn Basin, and thank you for listening. Please rate and review the podcast wherever you listen, and we'll see you next time.